0: colossal adventure, pitting themselves against the might of a world as remote and alien and pulseless as the abysses of space. They traveled on without speech, saving their breath for the work of their bodies. On every side was the silence, pressing upon them with a tangible presence. It affected their minds as the many atmospheres of deep water affect the body of the diver. It crushed them with the weight of unending vastness, an unalterable decree. It crushed them into the remotest recesses of their own minds, pressing out of them, like juices from the grape, all the false ardors and exaltations and undue self-values of the human soul, until they perceived themselves finite and small, specks and motes, moving with weak cunning and little wisdom amidst the play and interplay of the great blind elements and forces. An hour went by, and a second hour. The pale light of the short sunless day was beginning to fade, when a faint far cry arose on the still air. It soared upward with a swift rush, till it reached its topmost note, where it persisted, palpitant and tense, and then slowly died away. It might have been a lost soul wailing, had it not been infested with a certain sad fierceness, and hungry eagerness. The front man turned his head until his eyes met the eyes of the man behind, and then, across the narrow oblong box, each nodded to the other. A second cry arose, piercing the silence with needle-like shrillness. Both men located the sound. It was to the rear, somewhere in the snow expanse they had just traversed. A third and answering cry arose, also to the rear and to the left of the second cry. They're after us, Bill, said the man at the front. His voice sounded hoarse and unreal, and he had spoken with apparent effort. Meat is scarce, answered his comrade. They ain't seen a rabbit sign for days. Thereafter they spoke no more though their ears were keen for the hunting cries that continued to rise behind them. At the fall of darkness, they swung the dogs into a cluster of spruce trees on the edge of the waterway and made a camp. The coffin, at the side of the fire, served for seat and table. The wolf-dogs, clustered on the far side of the fire, snarled and bickered among themselves, but evinced no inclination to stray off into the darkness. Seems to me, Henry, they're stand remarkable close to camp," Bill commented. Henry, squatting over the fire and settling the pot of coffee with a piece of ice, nodded. Nor did he speak till he had taken his seat on the coffin and begun to eat. They know where their hides is safe," he said. They'd sooner eat grub than be grub. They're pretty wise, them dogs. Bill shook his head. Oh, I don't know. His comrade looked at him curiously. First time I ever heard you say anything about their not being wise. Henry, said the other, munching with deliberation the beans he was eating. Did you happen to notice the way them dogs kicked up when I was a feedin' them? They did cut up more than usual, Henry acknowledged. How many dogs have we got, Henry? Six? Well, Henry... Bill stopped for a moment, in order that his words might gain greater significance. As I was saying, Henry, we've got six dogs. I took six fish out of the bag, I gave one fish to each dog, and... Henry, I was one fish short. You counted wrong. ''We've got six dogs,'' the other reiterated dispassionately. ''I took out six fish. One here didn't get no fish. I came back to the bag afterward and got him his fish.'' ''We've only got six dogs,'' Henry said. ''Henry,'' Bill went on. ''I won't say they was all dogs, but there was seven of them that got fish.'' Henry stopped eating to glance at.